kill the brass dragon. Mm. Or maybe well, you're just out there and then you find out it is brass and you're like, oh, crap. Yeah, well, so much for that horn. Live from the Mundangerous Mirage Arcana in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 218 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're heading far out into the wastes to talk about adventuring in the desert. But first the rogue traders meet a new friend in the Dynasty Unwanted campaign. And later, the Wasteland Ravager stalks the dunes in the Character Creation Forge. Are you looking for a great story? Do you love Star Wars? Do you like podcasts? If you said yes to any of these, check out the Redemption Podcast. Well, I have less in my head than you do normally, probably. You haven't met the crew I'm with. Pretty much everywhere we go, our life is in danger. Things didn't explode. That's pretty sneaky for us. That sounds horrible. Yes, please finish up whatever underhanded thing you're doing on the computer terminals at the Jedi Temple. Check out Redemption Podcast at www.redemptionpodcast.com. Speaking of the wastes, Shane, uh, we're running a pretty bleak game on Twitch. Yeah, why haven't you checked out Stream of Blades yet, dear listener? It's 7 p.m. every Wednesday at twitch.tv slash don't split the podcast. It features us. It features Rudy Bassa from Don't Split the Podcast Network. It features Sally from the Struggle Bus Podcast. It features Amber from Tales from Mox Ferry. It is uh, the, the story of a mercenary company marching after losing the final battle to the undead and trying to give humanity one last hope. Yes, it is the story of a mercenary company crying a river and drowning the whole world uh uh-huh. in in the blood of the of rookies that of dead rookies <laughs> so you can tw- check twitch to uh view prior episodes we also have the old episodes on youtube um but s- wednesdays 7 p.m eastern uh at twitch.tv slash don't split the podcast or follow the link in the show notes or the undoubtedly the multiple links that will be on twitter to it um come hang out with us and chat we have uh, a couple ways for bit donations to um, screw over the players which is always nice yes uh hang out in the chat and watch us suffer Uh uh-huh all right speaking of suffering shane where are we in the dynasty unwarranted campaign so the Dynasty Unwarranted Campaign is our warhammer 40k rogue trader game played using dark heresy second edition rules by fantasy flight games and on the Deathworld Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian, the rogue traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. And for once, we're having a bit of success. Yeah, against all odds, you have located the Eldar Exodite Barrows, the ancient burial ground, um, and access to the planet's world spirit, uh, which you want to... Find, get inside, and begin a soul-siphoning ritual which will benefit a distant Eldar spirit seer. And ultimately, the thing you care about is make this living jungle a little less dangerous. Cool, cool. Doesn't sound anything like heresy. Works Uh for me. (laughs) Consorting with Xenos, are you? (laughs) It's all for the greater profit factor. (laughs) So, our rogue trader and psyker, Silva, and our... Just Psyker, Flare, begin playing around with the Wraithbone obelisk that marks the site. Uh, they eventually use enough uh, warpy bullshit to figure out how to use it to psychically open the entrance to the barrows. Yeah, it's actually it's super simple. Like, if if you just are used to like having any little bit of psychic connection, it's pretty simple to actually open this. They didn't have to really do too much, but for characters like yours, Ishin, uh, mm-hmm. the simple-minded monkey like Trank, uh, it's practically impossible for you to use this to open it. I bet if I shot it enough with, you know, bullets, it would mm-hmm. open. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it'd be sealed forever. Who knows? Yeah, whatever. So then when it... those souls are safe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when it opens, you find a long tunnel that just slopes down steadily underground for um, actually like 
over a kilometer. Um, and it is like this just well, like designed, well cut, uh, well braced, like finely crafted tunnel. Um, and as you follow it down, you eventually come to a door that is sort of, uh, ornately carved, well designed, well fit together and has another of these simple obelisks next to it. Uh, and when you touch it, it kind of lights up in a pale blue glow, um, and seems to like psychically prompt you. Right. Question mark appears above it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So after some experimentation, we do discover that all you have to do is think about opening the door and the door opens. Yeah. It's basically not sealed. (laughs) Like it's not like locked or like a trick or anything. It's just like ask it to open and it opens. Right. It's speak friend and enter. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) But not even a puzzle. (laughs) It's just like sup. (laughs) Uh, However, Around this time, we do notice a strange felid creature hanging around. Uh, It's weird, because why is there anything alive down here? I don't like that. Trank doesn't like that. Trank wants to shoot it. Mm -hmm. What is it, though? Uh, Well, the bookworms say that it's a Grinix. Yep. It's kind of like an Eldar house cat, which makes Trank want to shoot it even more. Yeah, it it was not hanging out down here, to be clear. It followed you in. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's that. That makes me less cautious. (laughs) But it did seem to be hanging around in the area, at least. Um, But yeah, so it is a, like, kind of a furry, fluffy, like, alley cat looking cat. Um, Maybe a little bit larger than your normal house cat. But ultimately, like, Doc takes a real liking to it. Yeah, of course Uh, he does. Of course, the uh, Grinix are known for having supernatural empathy. They they form a bond very easily with people, uh, or, you know, Eldar. And he insists on keeping it, even though the others in the group are very leery, including multiple people who want to shoot it, even though Doc is holding it. Yeah, they want to literally shoot it out of his hands, because this is an Eldar psychic familiar. <laughs> Ultimately, though, against everybody's better judgment, both at and above the table, he gets to keep it for now. So as the door to the Eldar Barrow opens, what could possibly go wrong? And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we are talking about desert adventures. So in adventure stories, often the desert ends up being the ultimate forbidden landscape. You know, if you want characters to die horribly then just have them head out into the desert unprepared for what they're going to meet out there. Yeah, deserts always have these, like, awful names. It's like the Sea of Sands or, like, Death Valley. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> oh, cool. Pass. <laughs> why, don't, why aren't explorers uh, using the misnomer like Greenland on deserts? Exactly. <laughs> I guess the Silt Sea is <laughs> half and half. Right. Uh. Now, deserts, though, do sometimes get a bad rap in games as an empty wasteland, right? It's boring out there. It's just sand. Like, what is there other than that and sun and, like, dying of thirst? And, like, mirages and false oases. Yay. So this episode, we're going to talk about how to make deserts a dynamic and interesting environment that players uh, want to explore and want to spend more time in or are dying to get out of. Uh Uh-huh. So we've mentioned these books before, but the best resource, I think, for deserts in general is probably still the 3.5 D&D book Sandstorm, Mm -hmm. even though that's like really heavily focused on fantasy deserts. Yeah, but it it does a great job of highlighting like what adventuring in a desert looks like, not what Mm -hmm. life in a desert looks like. Right. Uh, which is probably um, what you're going to spend most of your time doing. Like, if the setting is actually a desert, then the, that, all that information probably comes in the actual setting, and there are probably many more tools for living there relatively comfortably. Right. So the first thing that you're going to want to think about uh, if you are thinking about entering the desert or you are building a desert is how deadly is it? You know, is this Tatooine where you can have farmers who are drinking blue milk and they eke out a living, but it's still mostly fine? Or is this Arrakis, where if you leave the city and get outside the shields, you will die? Oh, is that the uh, setting for Dune? Yeah. Cool. There's there's sandworms out there. Yeah. Also the desert, and it's just the desert. Oh, so that's the setting from Tremors. Uh, also, yes. I think they're in uh, small town middle America, which if you leave, you will die. <laughs> I thought they were in like rural California, but 
it's not that, actually it's not, that that's, important. That's the same. The Central Valley is is the Midwest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first thing to think about in terms of deadly deserts is temperature. Um, how long can you reasonably reasonably stay exposed to the sun and the heat when you're out there? Um, this will kind of put a time limit on like what type of fiction, what type of stories you can tell involving this desert. If you ultimately are going to die in three days, then you need to tell a two and a half day story. Right. Or like if, if like the old travelers telling you two hours exposed in the sun will kill you unless you have some sort of protection. Well, either that means you need to bring a lot of protection and like a lot of water or not that much because you're running through it as quickly as you can. Right. Uh, also, you know, does it get frigid at night? In the real world, most deserts do. Like, there's not a lot of water to retain the heat. So when the sun goes down, it can actually get down to freezing temperatures. Right. Consider the geography. How easily is this desert traversed? Uh, if you're looking at, you know, like salt flats, like in Utah, it's much easier to walk across than sand where you're kind of sinking into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, rocky wastes are going to be much harder to walk across uh, than sand even. But at the same time, those big rocks can potentially provide shelter from the sun in the middle of the day. Yep. Also, like, think about the shifts in elevation, right? Like, one of the things about the Sahara is it has these giant dunes, so you're constantly walking up and down hills as opposed to, like, just the the salt flats of, like, wide open space, relatively, you know, flat topography. Mm-hmm. How big is this desert? Can you cross it in a few days? Or is it the Sahara where you could walk for a month and still not cross the whole thing? How consistent is it? Is it mostly just dunes or like in Dark Sun? Are there cities dotted throughout the wastes? Are there oases? Like in Dark Sun, you don't walk into the desert. You have a destination that is an oasis or a spring or a different city, and you cross the wasteland as quickly as possible in a straight line, and you don't detour or you're going to die. Right. And then think about what's the main feature of this desert? Like, Shane, you said deserts have terrible names. Well, they have those terrible names because that's a terrible thing that you find in that desert. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it known for? Like in the real world, deserts have reputations. The Sahara is massive. The Taklamakan is known for dunes that continually shift. So you'd never really know where you are. And it's very disorienting. Yeah. Like in, in a fantasy setting, right? Think like a place called the Burning Wastes. Is that because it's extremely hot? Is that because it also happens to have like volcanic activity or like, you know, uh, magma geysers or something like that that is also coming out of it is there maybe like some illusion that is created like a mirage effect that makes it appear to be on fire like what's going on there that gives it that name it was by it's given by the hoa the homeowners association doesn't want uh, visitors so mm. we called it the burning waste but it's really more of a subdivision exactly <laughs> <laughs> we bulldozed the burning waste and we named it after what used to be here <laughs> <laughs> it used to have a this different is... name, but we're fighting off gentrification of this year's yeah. desert. <laughs> uh, in a lot of settings, you can have a desert that's, you know, haunted, right? Like you go out into the desert and <laughs> guess what? A lot of people died out there, mm-hmm. uh, but their ghosts are, are still wandering, um, you know, trying to kill everyone else who shows up. Are there a lot of undead? Undead are pretty common in uh, desert fiction. Mummies, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you can have entire civilizations that were flourishing, died, and then slowly have been covered by the shifting sands. Yeah, I think that's another big one. Is just like, what do you, what do the sands, what secrets do the sands hold, mm-hmm. right? Like, what what riches are buried under the sands, or what city, or what knowledge might be uh, uncovered if you could just survive out there? Huh. Turns out it was just more sand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> These people uh, were sand farmers. <laughs> they ate sand for dinner. <laughs> Uh, I will say, um, you do want to try to avoid Arabian Nights type tropes or like appropriating Egyptian history for this kind of stuff. You can definitely have elements of that. Like it's fine to have a magic lamp. It's fine to have, um, you know, a, a flying carpet or like pyramids. Those are things that can appear in games. But you want to be pretty careful not to be reductive with the trappings of an actual real world culture, and then you know have like a weird mishmash uh, of of like 1930s horror movie tropes yeah you don't necessarily have to put like muslim style architecture in a desert yeah <laughs> like like you you could just have regular stone walls like and, and like regular medieval parapets like there's no real advantage to the shape of those like architectural designs though you might want to paint the walls white to reflect some heat that would be smart that's a research check 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some challenges. I think the first most obvious one is going to be the environment. Uh, when you're traveling through the desert, uh, typical wilderness travel rules for whatever game you're playing probably apply. You know, you're making navigate or survival checks, but they get more complicated. The The DCs will be higher. Or you'll need more successes. Like we said before, the shifting sands in a lot of deserts can bury landmarks. It's hard to keep your bearings. It's hard to know where you've already been. You know, you can't mark chalk on the route that you've been at. And maybe the rocky outcropping that you saw before is now completely gone. It can also totally expose new landmarks that you never saw before. Yeah, and there's also like the sameness to it, right? Of like, you feel like you've passed this point three times already. Like, is that because you're going in circles or is that because the environment really does just look the same? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you have a skilled navigator, during the day it can be difficult to navigate without accurate tools in order to like judge the position of the sun or like figure out particular angles, right? And it's only at night when you have stars which are easier to navigate by, uh, and probably you do have stars because you are less likely to have a bunch of clouds. Uh, your compass is going to be very useful as long as it is working properly, hint, hint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be a shame if there was something magnetic buried under all that sand yeah terrible shame or if you know a few grains of sand are slowly working their way into the gears <laughs> wait gears on a compass <laughs> what compass are you using it's also a sextant okay <laughs> so a lot of times you need to double your water use or you need some type of protective covering like a a mask or a cloak um or you know something to like protect your skin um or else you'll suffer penalties or you'll like suffer damage sooner or something like that. The heat is also oppressive. You can use exhaustion checks uh, in fifth edition or, or, you know, in whatever system you're using some sort of like check or skill roll that doesn't necessarily cause like meat damage, you know, um, in something like uh, blades in the dark, this could be stress Um some sort of resource needs to be spent in order to sort of keep it at bay. Um, If you're in like a caravan, you're probably making these checks maybe once a day. If you're walking on foot, maybe once an hour. And if you're in a dangerous location or if you're in the middle of combat and, you know, obviously you're exerting yourself because you're actually in like um, initiative order, then you might be making these even every round. Mm -hmm. Um, If you've got things like fire resistance or, you know, specifically have protective gear, like uh, portable air conditioning or something like that, um, you can mitigate some of these challenges, but you probably don't want to just nullify them. What if sand is slowly working its way into the springs? (laughs) Okay, I'm sensing a theme. (laughs) The theme that I'm sensing is you don't understand how any (laughs) mechanical objects work. There's no (laughs) springs in an air conditioner. There are now. It's not spring-powered air con. Yes, obviously, this is Eberron, and I have tapped into the uh, elemental plane of springs. Why would that not be like a, a, a bound cold elemental? What the hell's a cold elemental? I just invented it. It's way more reasonable than springs in an air conditioning. <laughs> Turns out cold elementals are uh, made of springs, tiny springs. Uh, oh, it's called sure. spring theory, okay? Everything is springs. Isn't a cold elemental or ice elemental the uh, air and water meta elemental? Uh, actually, everyone does have a plan of ice. Oh, it's so. ice and evil. Okay. <laughs> it's a uh, gripping cold. Cool. <laughs> um, exposure. Consider that. Even if you uh, can withstand the heat, sunburn is literally fire damage. Yeah, it's got burn right there in the title. Yep. Um, you can treat heat stroke as like you can handle that with like disease mechanics or poison mechanics. Uh, essentially, like the the body will probably heal on its own, but you can speed up that process, or mm-hmm. you can potentially even purge it from the system with you know certain kinds of magic or tech. They do call it sun poisoning, after all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could also be corruption. Um, maybe there's a reason that this is a wasteland and not like a verdant plain the way it was historically. Um, so it's possible that this location could. Um, radiate corruption and actually harm you as an individual yeah i think in the wheel of time series if you head further and further further north towards the north pole it actually gets hotter and that's because like that's where hell is like that's where the devil lives (laughs) (laughs) and so like you start meeting like um more orc type things and like more like corrupted beast men and all kinds of like uh, fades, I guess it is like uh, horrible, like corrupted people, because like this is the epicenter of evil, 
and also it's very hot i guess <laughs> okay <laughs> but like you know no food is growing except like poisoned food right a uh, pretty common trope in the desert magical types of terrain uh i think in the most recent 5e or one of the most recent 5e books a uh, ghost of salt marsh there is a lot of information about traveling on the water you know all different things you'll you'll meet um like sailing on the ocean and if you look at some of the things you can meet, it's just like, oh, evil water or like evil whirlpools. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do the exact same thing with literally any kind of sand. Yeah. Evil quicksand. Mm-hmm. Uh, fiery burning sand, sand that puts you to sleep, magic sand with all different types of like evocation magic in it. <laughs> this is like Bubba and Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> evil sand burning sand <laughs> fried sand sand stew <laughs> sand po boy um of course you could also have sand storms so the sand not be confined only to the ground um you know anything that would drastically reduce visibility could um depending on like the violence of it could literally like skin a man Mm-hmm. Um, the more horrifying you want to make it, but um, at the very least requires some type of um, treatment to either get to shelter or at least navigate around or dodge out of the way, depending on the size. Right. Weather in general is very extreme in the desert. Uh, if you do have a storm, like there's probably a flash flood. It's probably very intense. Lots of lightning. Uh, you can have hail. You can have hail with like out a storm. Mm-hmm. Weird things happen in the desert. Yeah, like the uh, the sandstorm from Mad Max. Like you can pretty much steal that wholesale. Like have a tornado and a lightning storm and hail <laughs> and I don't know, man. Like it looked like magic. <laughs> uh, and well, in something like and Mad it was Max, full of war boys. <laughs> like this <laughs> just they're sucks. flying around in there. You find one d four war boys. <laughs> uh, in something like Mad Max, if you're dealing with technology, if you're in an airplane or a jeep, and that's how you're getting across. You might survive the sandstorm intact, but does your gear? Yeah. Well, oh, now there's sand in the springs, (laughs) Ishan. Why would a Jeep have a spring? I don't... (laughs) There's ice in the wheels. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, if you're not just passing through, you might be in the desert long term. This causes additional problems. Yeah, so now you can't just carry your water with you. You need to actually find water along the way. So that probably means locating an oasis or digging pretty far underground or um, finding like a a farm of cacti or something like that. Yeah, or like building a divining rod if that's something that works in this setting. Uh, Or like, you know, in Tatooine, like build a moisture evaporator. (laughs) Yep, just pull all that no water out of the air. Exactly. Good enough. Uh, finding food. I really like that in a place like a desert, if you're hunting creatures that you could eat, it's probably just as likely that they are interested in eating you. There's not yep. a lot of food here. Right. Uh, and then consider using spells. Like, does it does it negate the challenge if you can just cast create food and water? If it does, I maybe mean, fix that. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe it does negate that specific challenge, but not all the other challenges, right? Right, or maybe there's like some blanket effect why that doesn't work, and that's why this is a wasteland. Right. Equipment is going to matter a lot. Think about uh, maybe animals or transportation. Horses will be f- pretty fast on most terrain, but they're not really built for deserts. Camels, on the other hand, are going to be very hardy, but probably a bit slower. And then depending on your setting, of course, reptiles might be the alternative option. Obviously, that was used by Star Wars, but no reason that you couldn't be um, riding a cold-blooded creature or using a cold-blooded uh, pack animal instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a covered wagon, that's going to be protective, obviously, but it needs pack animals to pull it, and it probably needs a smooth surface. Uh, it's also probably pretty hard to pull across uh, you know, thick dunes. No, nah, dude, hover wagon. Done. Easy. (laughs) That's why we invented the hover wagon. I got a land speeder. Duh. (laughs) Of course, any vehicle that you introduce is going to um, need extended maintenance. It's going to be more likely to overheat if it wasn't specifically designed for a desert. And even then, if it was, um, probably needs to be carefully monitored to ensure that um, everything is still going to run when you absolutely need it. And everybody at the table is going to bring up random things they see in desert fiction. So be prepared for that as a GM or as a player. Like, throw these out. Hey, did these things exist or can we rig something up like this? Like, the Fremen on Arrakis in Dune have still suits, which basically recapture all their moisture. 
Uh, you might have a dust filter to cover your mouth or sun lenses to keep uh, yourself from going blind. You mean sunglasses? Sun lenses. <laughs> <laughs> this is not sponsored by Oakley. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's only if you're like a U.S. serviceman do you wear Oakleys. <laughs> <laughs> or like a cop who definitely like beats up minorities. <laughs> Brought to you by Oakley. <laughs> this message brought to you by Ray-Ban. <laughs> uh, you might have things like salt tablets. Right, great. Depending on how nitty gritty you want to get into this. All right, so let's talk about some encounters that you might uh, run into in a desert. Monsters. You're going to find monsters. Definitely. Yeah, so the most realistic option is going to be things that are small and deadly. Um, things that are, you know, kind of a low body mass tend to be uh, require less water and also cold-blooded things tend to be more at home in the desert. So things with spines and poison, um, parasites that could hitch a ride. A uh, lot of, like, desert fiction has swarms of, like, scarabs or, mm -hmm. like, other, like, tiny insects things that burrow either under the ground or <laughs> into your skin. Uh, ambush predators, um, maybe relatively small ones. Carnivorous plants. Think of it this way. Everything that you meet is going to have a way to defend itself because resources are so scarce. Even right. the plants will potentially kill you. Yeah. Um, you know, like a sarlacc. Yeah. <laughs> it's made itself useful. <laughs> um. It's possible that there are too many of them or they're too small to fight. You know, you said the scarab swarm. So it might be more like a puzzle. How do we distract the swarm in order to get away from it? it, it they might almost be like an environmental effect. Mm -hmm. How do we lead it to somebody we like less than ourselves? Yeah, like the apex predators that are also in this desert. Right. Uh, those are the other kinds of animals you'll usually run into. Um, they might be the reason that the party is out in the desert in the first place, right? You might be here to find or to kill a sandworm. Deserts are also the home of brass dragons. So you could be out there trying to seek counsel with a dragon. Or kill the brass dragon. Mm. Or maybe well, you're just out there and then you find out it is brass and you're like, crap. Yeah, well, so much for that horde. And then uh, plenty of things like giant lizards, giant spiders, big old what scorpions. What is a dragon if not a giant lizard, Ishan? <laughs> a giant dumb lizard. How about that? Okay, fine. Dire animals, pack hunters, hyenas. Mm -hmm. um, there are also many creatures from myth that are uh, monsters in a desert. So you might have the rock, which is like the uh, you know fire bird. Um, it definitely wants to eat your pack animals. Right. Uh, the mummy, uh, Afridi or uh, Dijin, you know, uh, out there to tempt mortals, uh, pretend to grant them wishes, enslave them to their cause, you know, whatever. Any type of living sand, sand monster, sand creature, the Sandman. Um, and then, of course, the uh, the creature that never actually appears, the Mirage, right? So um, your eyes eventually could play tricks on you if you spend enough time in the desert. You might start believing you're seeing things that don't exist. Right. And of course, like this could be much more fantastical. It could be a mirage that turns out it actually is a real thing, but it's only there sometimes, right? Fading in and out. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing that probably is common in the desert is the undead, because the desert is very good at preserving corpses indefinitely. Very desiccated corpses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, skeletons, tattered old zombies can be thousands of years old and still be able to crawl up out of the sand and attack you. In terms of power groups that you will probably run into in the desert, there are going to be people who are adapted to life there. Uh, Sandstorm has the Asherati, which are people who can swim through sand. So sure. people with a burrowing speed? Basically, but it's a swim speed through sand. This is real dumb. It's real dumb. Yeah, it's true. Uh, there's the Fremen from Dune who are specifically adapted to uh, living out in the desert. Jawas in Star Wars, they seem to be fine in the desert. Uh, Tuscan Raiders as well. Yeah. They'll have specific customs. They might have different values. Maybe they're xenophobic. Maybe not. I mean, they might actually be more friendly, right? Like, we don't get a whole lot of visitors. Yeah, they might also have, like, hidden or secret knowledge. So um, 
they might know how to use or harness the predators in the waste. They might know like how to avoid them or how to lure them elsewhere. Yeah, the the Fremen know how to ride the sandworms, and and like they know about the water of life. No one, well, other people have heard of it, but they don't know that it is actually real. Yeah, in Sandstorm, the Asherati know ancient locations within the wastes, so if you befriend them, they can lead you to where you're trying to go. Right. Uh, these peoples might ignore the difficulties or of like traveling through the desert or living there. Like, it might even just be a fictional thing. Where do Tuscan raiders get water? And like, uh, they, who, who cares where they get their water? They get it from the blue side of of uh, Tatooine, obviously. Uh, okay. Right. We never. We haven't gone that far. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it looked like waste for thirty miles, and so we stopped. Yeah. Exactly. You like. That's what I don't get about this. You see one side of the planet, and all of a sudden, you assume you know the whole planet, huh? Right. And no. it's tidally locked to our camera location. Exactly. So. That's just ignorant, man. You know, I don't I don't care for Tuscan Raiders. Uh-huh, you wouldn't. I don't like anybody from Italy, to be honest. <laughs> so many beans. R- regardless of their disposition and violence. Kale again? <laughs> All right. There are also potentially, like, hidden civilizations. Um, I think there's there's definitely a trope where you have, like, sorcerers or magicians who retreat into the desert to kind of... Um, be by themselves right like i think it's a, a logical place for a wizard to put a tower yeah totally. if they if they don't care about like the society around them right like the the withdrawn wizard like you can teleport wherever you need to go why would you make your personal tower like that accessible why would you keep it near a city that doesn't make sense right what idiot is putting it in like a nice lush temperate forest where any random kidnapped girl can show up while she's picking wildflowers <laughs> Um, there's also a thing where like a lot of times deserts have like grown up to uh, trap or curse a city, you know, so like it could be like divine punishment for a city that it is lost in a desert and the surrounding land has now become that desert. Um, you might be able to locate that city either from legend or, you know, kind of in its current trapped state um, and, and maybe even free it. And of course, there are magical creatures that you can find in the desert. that's where the mummy king is i have a feeling yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's also where you find duriel obviously (laughs) yeah oh man uh crushing you want to you want to crush duriel Uh uh, and watch out for the cold damage (laughs) ironically (laughs) yeah uh the city of brass the legendary afridi city of brass where you can find anything and everything you could ever want to buy or anyone you could ever want to buy right because the afridis are not cool uh, dragon empires, uh, like they can fly. They can just fly out of the desert, and also half of them are immune to fire. Yeah. Um, also, obviously, uh, fits the Dark Sun theme, but sorcerer kings tend to be out in those deserts. They're half dead, half dragons anyway. So one thing, I mean, you mentioned City of Brass, right? And I think in Forgotten Realms, anyway, the City of Brass is canonically uh, on the plane of fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you could also kind of like get the sense that like the nine hells right like some of those kind of rules also make a little bit of sense for a desert you know maybe it's not as magical or fantastical or like demon and devil oriented but the same kind of challenges um that you would encounter would kind of make some sense yeah i think this also works really well in something like eberron where you've got manifest zones you could have a manifest zone to fernia which is fire and evil works really well for the city of brass ifrit Mm -hmm. the nine hells any of that yep um, and then, like, the demon waste, too, of course. That's like oh, yeah, a, yeah. a natural place to put that. <laughs> <laughs> it's right in the name. I know. But, yeah. They should have called it the angel wastes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just angels, like, f***ing hammered on ambrosia the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Where did this mountain come from? It's angel poop. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about combat in deserts. You got a lot of wide open spaces, typically. Mm-hmm. And I would say that this probably makes ranged attacks a lot more useful, or you always want to make sure that you have a useful long-distance attack. Yeah, for sure. Um, it is definitely easier, given the openness of the terrain, to kite enemies. Like, as long as you've got speed to your to your advantage, you can kind of um, strike and move a little easier. Um, and flight is also valuable, because you tend to... Um, 
well, I don't know. Is flight more valuable because you've got like kind of wide open air, or is it harder to take advantage of flight because everything has ranged attacks and you have no place to hide in the air? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's also easier to get kited, right? True. Yeah. Um, so flight's certainly useful, but yeah, if if you're equipping everyone with longbows, then nothing can get within eight or six hundred feet of you without getting pincushioned. Well, right? depending on how good you are with a longbow, I guess. <laughs> Just keep rolling. <laughs> With enough longbows and enough time. Uh, but yeah, there's really not going to be cover in the air. You're probably not even dealing with clouds that you can hide in. Right. Um, so I think I think it's useful that you can travel quickly and you can get away, but you are you are sacrificing stealth in order to do that, as are your enemies. Of course, I don't know if it's useful for you to be like, I can see that rock coming at us from three miles away in the sky. <laughs> right. Like, you can run as fast as you can, but it's coming. Um. Deserts are also home to all manner of burrowing creatures, so you have to keep in mind the threat it may not be above you or in front of you, it may be below you. Yeah, it is very easy for you to get outflanked by creatures that can just pop up right behind you because they're coming up through the sand. Um, this is, uh, I think, very common in an ambush scenario, maybe while you're at camp. You know, you set up a perimeter, sure, but you had no idea what was underneath you. Right. You know, giant termites, giant ants, baby sarlax. Sure. They, Why not? They sneak. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, it's also harder to keep enemies corralled. You know, if you're starting to finish one off, if they all start running in different directions, it's pretty easy for them to get away. Although, depending on the kind of creature, I mean, they may just be running into certain death, right? If they're a humanoid. Right. Um, in terms of spells and like elemental attacks, you might have you might find that fire is less useful just because everything that's adapted for the heat is potentially more inclined to be resistant to fire and heat based attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you might find ambushes are harder or easier, but they are definitely different. Um, it's less likely you'll have a corner to hide around or you know be able to set up some type of blind. Like there's just less terrain to interact with. Right, but you can potentially bury yourself in the sand right. and then spring upon people. And then they ambush you by just leaving you there waiting forever and you die in the heat. And we, we, we couldn't see that. Well, well, it's fine. We're all 14th level rogues. <laughs> but I think we just win then. <laughs> right. All right. So let's talk about some plots for desert adventures. Uh, the first one, probably the most common one, is you are lost in the desert and you are dying. Yeah, Try not the, to uh, die. You were crossing it through a safe means. And that means was no longer safe. My plane crashed. My teleport went awry. My um, my caravan got split up in a storm, whatever. Right. Oh, man, I'm not even supposed to be in the desert today. Right, exactly. <laughs> I was going around the desert. <laughs> it's right on the map. I said, I'm going to skirt the burning wastes. <laughs> uh, you might also find the PCs are serving as emissaries to the desert. Uh, they might be able to travel safely, but they will run into strange encounters. Um, a lot of like social interaction encounters, right? Like cultural misunderstandings or a need to negotiate or, um, you know, a need to appease somebody's sense of justice or whatever in order to get resupplied for your return trip. Can we get a, a movie that is the reverse 13th warrior where it's like a Viking ambassador has been sent to Baghdad? <laughs> So the the one thirteenth warrior, yeah, and it's just it's just here being like, uh, we would like some help uh, with you know scary uh, people who eat people like with the ears <laughs> with, of the dead with Grendel, <laughs> also yeah, uh, and it, it's just like a you know a, a seven foot tall uh, bearded man who's just like I I don't know how to do anything here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I am very blonde, I'm very sunburned, and I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> so hot. <laughs> I have a heat rash pretty much everywhere. <laughs> I, I spit on the table, and they seemed very offended by that, and I don't get it. <laughs> they don't eat with their hands. It's very strange to me. <laughs> there are weapons at the table everywhere. <laughs> One on either side of, uh, I don't know, a shield? <laughs> And I haven't had a good beer in about nine days. <laughs> Why does my water smell like roses? <laughs> um, um. <laughs> the the alternative, of course, perhaps, uh, perhaps the issue is that the desert is invading you instead of you invading the desert. 
nobody goes into the desert because uh, it's deadly and dangerous and it's haunted. But now the winds are blowing the dunes in the direction of the village, and it's slowly advancing, and the horrors of the desert are also spilling out too. Is this intentional? Is this something we're doing? Uh, is this the Mummy King? Because mm-hmm. it has always been prophesied that he shall return. Or like some cabal of desert mages. Right. They did swear vengeance that one time. Right. <laughs> or like, um, I don't know, some some city that was trapped in the desert has returned. Uh, maybe like its curse has waned and now they are out for revenge. I did the math. It's been 101 years. Do you think that matters? <laughs> yeah. Weird. <laughs> huh. All right, and then I think the most like swashbuckling sort of um, you know Western adventure kind of thing the uh, the chasing down the forgotten history right the Indiana Jones mm-hmm. um, you are exploring places where um, history has been preserved or some great power has been preserved and you're trying to find it to unlock it to utilize it yeah uh, this is where the MacGuffin is of course uh, there was that wizard who spirited it away he built that tower oh and he died. Or he's a lich, whatever. Yeah, exactly. He didn't die. He's there. <laughs> Ancient artifacts, uh, a magic lamp might potentially, possibly be something you might find in a desert cave. Yeah, there's uh, you know just dangerous magic or um, technology that's been hidden away or cordoned off or buried, hopefully forever. Right. Maybe this is where the STC is. Right. In the desert. All right. So what are some pitfalls of running a party through deserts? So I think a big one is just there isn't the variety of terrain to make the description in your fiction that motivating, right? Like you just kind of get bored when all you can describe is golden sand dunes. This dune is 40 feet tall. That dune is 38 feet tall. That dune is 70 feet. Like it's just not that interesting. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, that's part of the danger of it is that, you know, you you can't tell where you are and you can't tell how much time has passed, right? But at a table, that gets boring. So narrate, like set the scene and then narrate through that to the next thing that happens and, you know, make the party take appropriate penalties forever for however long they've been stuck in this position. Right. But like, don't make them sit through it. Another hour passes and nothing else has changed. Roll again. (laughs) Um. You mentioned that one way to get your party into the desert is through accident, right? The plane breaks down and you were just going to fly around it or, you know, you've been marooned here or something. But there is the danger that if the party is unprepared, then they're just dead. You know, they have no way to survive the desert long enough because they didn't expect to be here. Right. Yeah. And like there is that sort of like that arc of, you know, you're unexpectedly in the desert. You have to struggle to find shelter. You kind of stabilize and figure out a way to be safe. And then you start to own your environment. Right. And then start to think of a way to get out. Like basically like, was it the flight of the Phoenix um, where they try to rebuild their plane to escape? Mm. But like most game mechanics don't support that idea very well. You know, like it's just one check to solve all those problems with a skill. Um, Like it's hard to get players to, like engage that as a puzzle versus like, all right, we're competent adventurers. We're here. There's a bunch of stuff around us. Like I'm just going to roll an intelligence check to figure out how do we survive this for the next three days? You know? Right. We kill the Kender. We eat the Kender. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, like issues that might make sense in the fiction uh, can stall the game. So I would say if you're springing this on, on players, like, don't have the plane go down in the middle of the Sahara Desert. They will die, right? There's no intelligence check you can make to survive the Sahara unprepared when you're right. 800 miles from civilization. Right. Uh, be on the edge of the desert. Be one day from civilization. Yep. Uh, and then if you do have a smart party uh, or they've been successful in some checks or research, you do want to be careful not to make it too easy for them to avoid all the consequences, right? They've made friends with the Jawa. They're going to buy some droids. And so they just travel across Tatooine in a sand crawler. Mm -hmm. Don't need to worry about the heat. You just need to worry about the stink. Yeah. Fun. Uh, At that point, the desert just becomes like a descriptive backdrop and like the challenges of the desert itself are less important to the narrative. Um, So instead you want to focus on the encounters, right? Like what are the things that are, 
um, in the desert that get you out of your sand crawler or out of your conveyance that get you um, out of your caravan, right? And like what interrupts the monotony of the day of which you're generally pretty safe. Right. Uh, what problems does your new conveyance cause? Uh, turns out Imperial stormtroopers are looking for a sand crawler. Mm-hmm. Or like a caravan crossing the desert attracts the bandits who are very, very well adapted to living and fighting in deserts. Imagine that. Now you're fighting Tusken Raiders, which you were going to be doing on foot anyway. It's just kind of cooler to be in a sand crawler while you're doing it. Right. Uh, so Shane, a fair number of our campaigns actually spend a decent amount of time in the desert. I think it's 100% of our 40k campaigns spend a decent amount of time in the desert. Yeah, bad things always happen. We were on Malajact yeah. in the in uh, Dynasty Unwarranted mm-hmm. for like forever. And, for like an arc. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I remember the sand kept clogging all the las guns. Yep. That mm-hmm. was a thing. Uh, and your rebreathers. And it was, yeah, it was screwing up your vehicles. It made travel just a pain. But even that was just kind of like a, more of a narrative thing. Right. Right. I like, mean, there, were, there was a mirage and uh, terrible weather. Yes. Obsidian storms. <laughs> Glass storms. Yeah, why not? <laughs> It made it hard to get to the desert, actually. <laughs> uh, the 40K game that Jim ran, we also went into the desert. Uh, and that was more of a Mad Max-style desert. Yeah, we went in three times, actually. <laughs> it was more of a Mad Max-style desert, except everything in it killed us. Yeah. The desert itself was kind of not that big of a deal, Right, we had all our, things considered. We had our sand crawler, and then it turns out the vehicle rules say that if you crash into another vehicle, they both explode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ramming speed <laughs> this is a trap uh, and then of course we spent a lot of time in the desert in dark sun we've talked about that relatively extensively how we built uh, exhaustion mechanics to uh, show exactly how tough it is even for high level characters to stay out in the desert for a day or so right and i think like those have all been part of maybe grittier games uh, or, or games where like life is supposed to be tough and and at times it is supposed to be a slog unless you are well prepared and careful. Yeah, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't put that same level of emphasis and difficulty on the desert if we were like, say, visiting the tomb of a mummy, um, in like a Knights Black Agents game. Right. Right. Like I I would expect that the super spies that were going in and doing this like more like Indiana Jones type, um, raid on a tomb would be competent enough that like the desert itself is a backdrop, right? It's more about what's in this tomb. Um, you know, they would figure out a way to deal with getting there safely and getting out safely. Like, I don't know that I would necessarily like have that, that sort of adventure, like trekking across a desert. <laughs> like I, that seems like a bit of a stretch for Jason Bourne uh, running from vampires though. I will say very hard to track a spy in a desert <laughs> or across a desert by a vampire i will say if you're hiding from vampires probably the best place to do it is a desert (laughs) not a bad option (laughs) uh yeah like an indiana jones type game or like pirates and swashbucklers the desert will be an obstacle or you know hey you're marooned on a desert island focus on island not desert right Yeah, yeah but when you do use it like make the desert another not just obstacle but a character you know we weren't just stuck in the desert. We were stuck in the desert on Malajact. You know, yeah. we were stuck in the demon wastes. We remember that desert. Let's never go back there. Exactly. Yep. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? They say when the dunes shift in the Taklamakan, it makes the sound like drums. I think it means we're going to die. Well, then it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge and figure out who's going to listen to the drums next time. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And you can join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. This week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by D&D Beyond. It is the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons & Dragons. So everybody already knows you can use D&D Beyond to build your characters, buy your books, track your campaigns, run your adventures, and just do all of the stuff with all the fiddly bits of the rules. 
And you already know there's awesome content that you can get for free, like the D&D basic rules and articles from writers like James J. Heck and videos from people like Todd Kenrick. And you know that the D&D Beyond team is always updating the site with new features and just adding a bunch of stuff to improve the quality of life and make it easier to use. But can you tell why kids love the taste of Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Is it because of all of the square size? It turns out that it's dusted with sand. Oh, It's just gritty, terrible sand. Huh. Silly adults, (laughs) you think it's sand. It's the cinnamon. Created from the desert. (laughs) But yeah, check out D&D Beyond. (laughs) It's really, really good. We use it to run our game. Uh, We've been playing our Eberron game using um, all of our character sheets on D&D Beyond. Uh, We no longer have to worry about, like, stopping a fight, um, like, at the end of the session, mid-fight. And picking it up and somebody has suddenly healed all their hit points. Like, oh my god, it's been so great. It's uh, That part has been so great because I don't need to be like, alright, we gotta... Like, every session you guys basically start fresh. Yeah. Hey, keep track of your hit points between sessions. Nobody does that. No, not at all. Can you but, uh, make sure you've written down all your... your sp- Is that the eighth time you've cast shield? Yeah, Aww. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we don't have to worry about people forgetting their sheets anymore. Like, Barely even care about people forgetting their dice anymore. Yeah. So, if you're interested, check it out at www.dndbeyond.com. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Wasteland Ravager. What is a Wasteland Ravager? Lives in the desert. Kills things. Kills things hard. So more of a a bandit type? Uh, Yeah, but also spooky. In touch with the hidden secrets and knowledge of the desert and willing to use it. Okay. Well, what's the build? It is Storm Herald Barbarian 12, Ranger Sandstorm 2. Herald. What's it again? Sandstorm Herald. <laughs> yeah. Ranger 2, College of Whispers Bard 6. So from Barbarian, we get 5 rages per day, plus 3 damage on melee attacks, resistance to physical damage while raging. Roll twice with reckless attack, get extra attack, and roll an extra die on criticals. We also get danger sense. Advantage on initiative and additional movement speed for fast movement. You get Relentless Rage at level 11. Make a constitution saving throw and the DC uh, in order to not die when you hit zero hit points. And the DC increases by five uh, each time, but it resets back to 10 on a short or long rest. And then you also get a 10-foot aura. Uh, as a bonus action, you can do fire damage to everyone in it. You can grant fire resistance to everyone. Um, you don't suffer from extreme heat, and you can set flammable things on fire, which just seems like a handy ability to have if you were to say, I don't know, live in a desert. Hmm, yeah. Uh, that's an always-on ability that uh, do not suffer from extreme heat. So as soon as you hit Barbarian 6, the desert is fine. Exactly. From two levels of Ranger, we'll get Favored Enemy, we'll get Natural Explorer, um, and then forest, we'll take... obviously. Forest. Yeah, obviously. I mean, all <laughs> the forests in the desert. Uh, And then we'll take archery fighting style for a bonus to hit. Uh, And, of course, we'll get access to the Hunter's Mark spell. Yeah, because remember, it's five rages a day, right? So a lot of the time you are going to be using skills or hunting. Um, You're not necessarily going to be raging all the time. That's five minutes a day. The rest of the time you can cast spells. uh, You can, you know, stalk your prey. And you're probably your dex probably isn't super high, but that extra plus two is going to make it much easier for you to hit things from afar here in the desert. From Bard, you get third-level spells. Vicious Mockery is great. You have combat-oriented spells like Hold Person, Invisibility, Hypnotic Pattern, or those utility spells you can use like Animal Friendship, Cure Wounds, Identify, for Secrets of the Desert, Long Strider, Enhance Ability. Uh, then you get the kind of base bard abilities your jack of all trades that have your proficiency song of rest to make it a little easier to heal during short rests and counter charm to avoid getting charmed or frightened now you can't cast spells while you're raging but you are a creepy barbarian because you have psychic blades uh you can use one of your bardic inspiration which refresh on a short rest Uh, to deal an extra 3d6 damage on an attack so you've got your rage bonus you've got basically a psychic sneak attack and you've got you know the big hits of just being a barbarian probably using a great weapon right uh you also get words of terror which allows you to speak for one minute to somebody and frighten them and then you get mantle of whispers which lets you steal a dead creature's appearance and their surface memories for an hour which just makes you a, a 
creepy, crazy desert hermit who warns people <laughs> away, and if that doesn't work, well, then their dead friends will warn them away. <laughs> exactly. So leveling orders, so let's start out Ranger 2 for more skills, Barbarian to 8 to pick up that aura, and uh, two, AS- two ASIs, all of your bard, and then finish up Barbarian. So Ishan, who is your Wasteland Ravager? My Wasteland Ravager is looking out for uh, the little guy, you know, all those adventurers coming to the desert looking to seek their fortune. Turn back, I say. You will die here. Uh, What my Wasteland Ravager does not tell them is that if they continue, they are the one who is going to kill these interlopers. (laughs) Oh, look, my prophecy came true. Imagine that. Well, I mean... Odds are, if that's the case in a against an adventuring party, it's the last prophecy he's going to give. <laughs> well, that's why you have to join the party. <laughs> why should we? Why should we let you join? Uh, sit down for a minute. I'm just going to tell you a story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, my wasteland ravager. She is, you know, protecting the secrets of the desert, and part of the reason that she does need to join the party is in order to keep protecting them. After she realizes the party is not here to exploit them, but. Per- potentially to use them or maybe to end the threat that makes the desert deadly and dangerous in the first place. Cool. What about your Wasteland Ravager? Uh, My Wasteland Ravager is one of the few survivors from a uh, city that was buried in the wastes um, by a vengeful god, I think. I thought you were going to say Mercenary Company, one of the last survivors (laughs) of a Mercenary Company. (laughs) Um, no, <laughs> but the, the reason for this is that this city, rather than worshiping deities, worshiped elementals. Ah. Um, so the, uh, you know, like this is an, an elemental focused discipline, um, for this, uh, wasteland ravager. Um, so he carries on these old traditions, um, as a survivor of the city, um, that was punished by the gods for not believing in them. Stupid, sexy genasi. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think Genasi makes a lot of sense here as a uh, as a race. Um, but yeah, so he is kind of maintaining the old ways, right? Like working in the way that uh, he understands and was able to basically survive in the desert to leave um, based on his adaptability, but also just preying on adventurers that were crossing the path, right? Like um, attacking caravans mm. for supplies and things like that to a, to eventually leave the desert, recognizing that without the city, you know, after the city was destroyed, not a whole lot of reason to stay in this climate. It kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, I will say, if you are playing this build, keep in mind that you actually have three potential auras and terrains to choose from. I kind of like that if you end up in a frozen desert, you can choose Tundra and you don't suffer from extreme cold. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. All right, before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. Yeah, and especially uh, thank you to uh, a handful of new Patreon supporters we've had that have have backed actually at really high levels um, over the past few months. We're getting really close again to our three hundred dollar uh, reward, um, which I believe is our Forgotten Realms episode that I am absolutely dreading. So mm. uh, we're making a lot of progress on that real real soon or real suddenly. And so thank you to everybody who's making that happen. And you're going to be getting uh, swag in the mail quite soon. All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are finally finishing our series on the Nine Alignments, and we will be talking about chaotic evil characters. Well, it only took 219 episodes, Ishan. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. It seems so long ago. Uh, lawful good was but a twinkle in my eye. <laughs> and what are we doing in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Eye of Grumsh. Well, that's it for episode 218 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by the artisans over at Elderwood Academy. They craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. On September 10th, Elderwood Academy launched their new Spellbook Minis Kickstarter. These are tiny, leather-bound, natural hardwood tomes that store your dice and miniatures with fully customizable foil-stamped art. 
I didn't know that there was a bunch of like customized art and like uh, carvings that you can get on a lot of this material until we saw uh, them at the uh, convention hall at Gen Con. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then I think you pointed out, oh, I I have uh, some of these, but I want I want that art instead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that they have added that I, I don't know if I've seen this in the past is um, they now have what they call Atlas edition um so you can get runes or like a map on the cover that makes it look like uh you know like kind of an ancient fantasy um map book um which i like better than like you know a winged dragon or a scroll or something like that like that's a little like this feels like a little more in fiction rather than just having kind of like a nerdy symbol mm-hmm. and then of course uh it's a mini scroll book so it doesn't have a whole lot of options but it does have some configurability in the layout in the um in the interior you know do you want space for a mini? Do you want just space for your dice? Um, what kind of wood? What kind of cover do you want? What color do you want the various um, pieces of it to be? Right. I will say you can fit gaming minis. You can also fit mini bottles of alcohol. <laughs> Maybe. I don't remember if it's that big. <laughs> they come in all shapes. <laughs> You can fit mini bottles of alcohol anywhere if you try hard enough. <laughs> you can fit uh, gaming minis anywhere if you try hard enough. <laughs> so they run um, base around $49, and then there's uh, $5 shipping, $15 international. So it's a, it's a cool product. It's a cool Kickstarter. Um, Elderwood does a really good job with these things. I don't think there's any risk at all that this doesn't get delivered. So um, it's definitely a good one to back if it's a product you're interested in. So for more information, you can go to elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split. <laughs> 